Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm. Right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Blog Talk Radio. A company always on the run, a destiny. Shooters Rest Radio, we have uh, one of our guests on, Christine, Claire Cusio, and uh, I'm still waiting for the other guest to call in whenever he gets a chance. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about armed and unarmed combat, or self-defense, and uh should be a good show. So, uh, Christine, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Christine Claracuzio. I am born and raised uh, in New Jersey. I spent a couple years in naval prep school, um, so I do have a little bit of military training behind me. I'm a mixed martial artist in Muay Thai, kickboxing, and jiu-jitsu, which I've been studying for about a year. I was also formally trained in taekwondo and was a gymnast for about 16 years. Um, I do believe in protecting our Second Amendment rights, so I think that the uh, unarmed and armed defense tactics uh, that we'll be discussing today is going to be a great topic, um, especially being exposed to both sides of, of the uh, of the equation. So I'm looking forward to the show tonight. Hello, Christine. This is uh, Vic Laszlo. Uh, I want to welcome you to uh, to uh, to the show, and, and looking forward to uh, spending the next hour or so with you. And that's uh, certainly a subject that uh, you know I'm. Have had a little tiny, wee little bit of combatives, and that's uh, that's certainly part of the uh, you know the total package for uh, self protection is combatives and firearms and situational awareness and all that. So I'm really really excited about this, and uh, just 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 tickle think you're here. Yes, definitely sounds like fun. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting when you're trained, you know, as uh, in the unarmed defense, uh, which is kind of new to me. Um, but, you know, I've taken my training very seriously in the last year. I hope to compete um, hopefully in the near future uh, once I'm healing from this uh, this dislocated elbow. But that's that's part of the um, <laughs> the hazards of training. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's interesting when you're uh, when you're injured and you can't defend yourself the way that you, that you typically would. And that was the first thing that came to mind when I heard about this show um, was was really the differences in, in how how I would defend myself now. Um, that's that's definitely on the table. <laughs> 
Uh, hey, I hate to cut in. I, I think our other guest is here. Uh, have we got you? Yeah, you I'm here, guys. Hey, it's uh, Odin here from Canada. Ah, well, welcome to the Shooter's Rest Radio. I'm Jay, and Victor's on the line, and then uh, Christine's also on the line already. Um, yeah, how y'all doing? Yeah, thank you. Good to talk to you guys. Um, we'll take a moment and just let you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do, um, and then we'll carry on. Uh, thanks, Jay. I've been teaching advanced close-quarter combat to both military and police personnel close to 20 years now. We really do specialize in kind of fighting with weapons, and I don't mean necessarily with edge weapons, but an operator that has to defend himself while he's holding a carbine or a pistol um, happens more often than not, and we we kind of um, focus on, you know, really difficult situations like that for really restrictive spaces. That's the essence of what we do. Yeah, this is Vic here. Are are your clients mostly uh, military, uh, uh, law enforcement, <laughs> civilian, governmental agencies, or or kind of a mixture yeah, we of? Don't, uh, we don't actually teach uh, the civilian market, Victor. Um, it's just something we stay away from. There's there's a lot of people already who do that, and the kind of stuff that we teach. Um, our feeling is that we just don't want it out there for the bad guys. You won't find any of our stuff on YouTube or any other kind of video format like Vimeo. Uh, we're really, um, I don't know, we're, we're really particular about who sees our tactics. Not that it's, you know, the secret squirrel stuff, but it's it, it's very efficient, and we just don't want this to be used against soldiers or, or frontline, you know, law enforcement. So it's military police for, for right now only. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to, like, a professional security, you know, market or personnel, but for right now that's that's our two groups. Yeah, I, I I subscribe to his email list and the magazines and get and watch some of the videos and I tell you what I'm I'm pretty impressed with a lot of that stuff so uh, I, I I hope I can go and practice it at some point. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jay. We've one of the things that we've really taken pride of over the last while is we've actually had our system vetted by a lot of U.S. soft personnel. Um, and my feeling on it is, it is if you're confident in the system, you really should send it out there to Tier 1 operators and let them take a look at it and dissect it and then be prepared for what they're going to say. I mean, both negative and positive. We've had all positive comments, but we really are keen on having it validated by the assaulters and door kickers out there to to see if this is, you know, kind of what they're looking for and to say that this will work under, you know, stress uh, high-stress conditions. Well, like I was saying earlier, uh, I think you know combatives and uh, you know skill in, in martial arts, uh, you know traditional martial arts, be it uh, you know combatives-based stuff or a more of a traditional martial art, is, is something that uh, a lot of shooters, a lot of self-defense shooters uh, lack. You know, I know I'm certainly that's one of the areas I'm weak in, and I'm looking at uh, you know building up my skill set uh, to become a little bit more proficient in uh, in that. So, uh, you know, both of y'all, uh, you know, if there was a, a person who was relatively proficient in the use of firearms, you know, long arms, sidearms, and all that, and wanted to, you know, step into the realm of combatives, 
how would they go about that? What would be a really good place for them to uh, to start? If if it's all right, if I could just go first, I just one quick thing to add about this for the shooters is that a position that's really neglected that we focus on is the stool position because you can actually use this as your 12 o'clock so that you've got a really safe field of fire for your partner, and you can use this and still uh, bring all of your combatives, uh, you know, into every aspect of of self-defense because for you to transition a firearm, especially from holster, breaking those safety restraints under stress, has been proven over the last 10 years, it's it's not going to happen, and especially it's not going to happen if a guy's got an edge weapon against you. So it, it's really important that if the pistol's out, that you really know what to do with it in terms of being able to not only fire it, but keep it safe so it's not going to be used against you. And we we really do focus on that as an integral part of what we teach. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I know I went to a, uh, a terrorism addiction course uh with a, a well-known trainer here last year, and I did the uh, anti-terrorism lecture part of it, but uh, we trained exclusively from Sewell, and one of the exercises was moving through a, uh, a, a crowd. You know, we had other uh, uh, class members uh, you know, kind of milling around, and you would move through, you know, moving through a lot of your way with the I guess the NSA is tuning in on it. Hey, I, I really apologize for that. My city decided to go through and spray for mosquitoes right when oh. we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what, what I was saying is we were trained to move through, uh, you know, people, a crowd in position, Sewell, you know, with a really tight control of your weapon and the ability to use your, uh, you know, your left hand to direct people out of your way and then engage uh, multiple targets. So, uh, yeah, Sewell is uh, fantastic. Fantastic. I don't know why more folks out there aren't using it. Absolutely. You know, Vic, I think you bring, um, you know, you brought up a really good point um, before in saying, you know, how do you get into a, a combative type sport or what kind of sport would be a good introduction uh, for, for a typical shooter? And I think a lot of that comes back down to your goals and your objectives. Um, you know, I've had really the honor of training uh, alongside uh, some of our, our soldiers uh, here in New Jersey uh, with the National Guard. And part of their combatives training is very interesting because they are basically trained to, you know, get away from a person to get to their weapon. Um, in traditional martial arts and combatives training, you don't have, you don't necessarily have a weapon. Um, so a lot of that's going to be hands-on training. It would be um, striking training, stand-up. Um, the big question happened for me when I was uh, initially training because I, I did uh, take up mixed martial arts as a way to defend myself. Was you know what happens if I'm knocked to the floor? Uh, learning to fight from from your back and learning how to fight from the floor is completely different from being on your feet. And uh, the one thing I will hand to my trainers here in New Jersey is that they have done a phenomenal job in teaching every student that walks through our school is that the first thing that you want to do is get yourself out of the situation. If you can walk away from it or run away from it, you do so. Uh, you want to use your combatives training under uh, very extreme circumstances. Um, but obviously in my state, uh, carrying a weapon is uh, almost impossible so for me, uh, taking up martial arts was very important um, just because I know I'm not going to have access to that weapon necessarily. 
Um, but my understanding, and uh, Odin, please feel free to talk about this um, because I, I, I have a feeling that there's an overlay here. Uh, there is a type of martial art called uh, Krav Maga, which I believe is used by the Israeli Defensive Forces. And to my understanding, that has a lot to do with defending yourself in close quarters and also being able to disarm the person as well as getting to your weapon and arming yourself. Yeah, actually, it's a good point, but I'll tell you just kudos to you guys south of the border because operators that do this, I'm just giving you my own opinion, my own armchair kind of quarterbacking here, the best that I've seen is uh, your ranger units, uh, their combative system that you use while holding carbine is absolutely impeccable, and I find it's not, it's relatively unknown uh, even down your side in terms of um, how proficient they are at this. And they're, they're one of the few units uh, that I know of that do this, but they they have a whole integrated hand-to-hand system um, while holding that carbine, and it's extremely impressive. So you've got takedowns, and the whole concept is to remain standing and to transition back into, you know, field-of-fire arrest control situation. So I can't speak as much for Krav Maga because I don't study traditional martial arts, but for the military side of things, um, yeah, the, the, the rangers are way, way ahead of the learning curve in terms of integrating, you know, weapons with CQC. I think my friends are going to be really excited to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. What, back, I'd say 2004, 2005, and there's a guy that's listening to this that, that was there when it was introduced to us by a guy that was going through Q course or special forces was lions training and you know i didn't get a whole lot of training traditionally from it you know by the guy that was teaching the classes i had to go elsewhere and find other people to teach me more but i really like it because i have a really strong grip and with lions training as long as you can get their hand you pretty much you've got them under control and that's pretty much all I practice and all I do. I should probably pick up a lot more, but it's uh, you know, having that that wrist lock or that hand, you know, that hand that you can manipulate somebody's body with, for me is pretty key because you know they're gonna throw their hand at you with a punch or they're gonna try to grab you or they're gonna try to hit you or get you with a knife or whatever they've got if they don't have a gun. So to me that having a reflex and being able to just get their hand seems to work best for me. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. Submission fighting, um, you know, and that's uh, that's a submissive type of uh, submission move. Um, that's a lot of what we study in jiu-jitsu, although it's not usually from a standing position. So that's where uh, my understanding of uh, judo and, and Krav Maga come in, where they, they teach those very quick movements to disarm and, and really disable uh, someone from, from even continuing any any type of movement. Yeah. Yeah, and for law enforcement as well, one of the things that, that we kind of harp on is, is the whole uh, pistol retention methodology, not, you know, from a simplistic standpoint of just, you know, bearing down on your holster so that he, he can't get it. Um, there's an, an enormous amount of angles and possibilities available to you when you're trying to uh, prevent uh, an unlawful disarm in terms of when, you, when we're talking about law enforcement. And uh, our approach is that we teach uh, an enormous amount of takedowns and chokes from that attempt to show the officers that they can, um, you, know, you know, swiftly get this guy under control 
without that reflex action or that instinctual response of immediately just, you know, like I said, just, you know, bearing down on that hip and trying to protect the holster because there's, there's a lot of other things to you than getting into a, a push and pull match with the bad guy. Oh, that, that, yeah, this is Vic here. That's a great point. I was at a, uh, a grappling seminar uh, one time, and our adversaries were two uh, two fellows in red suits that would just proceed to beat the snot out of you. And uh, unfortunately, as a you know gun guy, a guy that's traditionally been a gun guy, that was my first you know, solution to the problem was go to guns, which absolutely was the wrong solution to the problem. And uh, that's uh, that's absolutely critical. Uh, and an excellent point of uh, you know understanding the the dynamics of you know retaining your weapon while being able to defend that weapon and defend yourself and in the uh, in the end eventually succeed. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick all of y'all's brains. So it's going to be uh, if you don't want me to shut up, just tell me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I'm a disabled veteran and have a uh, pretty bad back injury and have uh, about two or three discs that are about ready to go at any time and nerve damage down my legs and stuff. And uh, my uh, my physician would not clear me to take Krav Maga. So, you know, with an old, gimpy, uh, former Army guy like myself, what are my options other than going to guns? Because, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and that's not the right right type of attitude. Uh, what what kind of advice would you give to a, uh, you know, a disabled person uh, that might not have the you know the range of mobility, the flexibility, or the strength, power, and speed of let's say a healthy younger person. Um, I'll, I'll I'll talk about stuff, and I'm going to defer a lot of the stuff to to people in as I said before in your neck of the woods that I think do an impeccable job of of offering a solution that's, that's probably a closer proximity to you guys than what you would be to me, and that would be uh, Paul Howe. Uh, out of Texas, oh, yeah. um, who I know you both know, and um, his whole approach to especially transitioning involves a lot of dry fire and a lot of work from that holster, make sure that you're going to clear that sidearm. So for you being, as you said, you know, an ex-Army guy, if you wanted to stay away even from, you know, the, the, the hand-to-hand thing in terms of initially, um, you know, I, I would certainly recommend a lot of – you know, kind of pre-work in clearing that holster as fast as you can. And it, to a lot of people listening, I mean, it's boring and dry fire can be boring, but it's actually, it, it's not. And it's and it's and a crucial step to, you know, becoming very fluid and, and, and having a perfect transition to that threat to intercept it if you're a gunfighter, you know. Right. And that's what I think would be your, you know, strong suit, you know, being from the Army. Right, yeah, and uh, you mentioned dry fire. Uh, I had an opportunity to take uh, an AK, uh, two-day AK course with uh, Sonny Prezikas, and almost right, the first, right. our first day was dry work. You know, we did right. put a single round through the rifle, and uh, you know, and you really, you really learned and became one with your uh, one with your weapon. And when you transition into actually doing a live fire, it was second nature. That, that's a great point and great advice, uh, and I do appreciate it. Yeah, so if you, if you guys were doing flash front sight like SF or if you were doing, you know, point shooting, then both e- either of those styles of, you know, pistol work is, you know, is is really can be integrated into that, you know, that dry fire, you know, right. pre-training. 
Victor, I'm gonna cut it. I'm gonna cut in here because I got something to add to this. Uh, I know I so I sent it to Odin. Um, I, I wrote a piece on retention shooting. It's uh, kind of ties in exactly to clearing the holster and tying in hand to hand because it's close quarter gunfighting is pretty much what it is. Um, it's basically going from a threat situation to drawing a pistol to just getting your attacker off of you before going to full draw and eliminating the threat. Um, the only problem with training it without doing live or doing uh, dry fire continuously for a long period of time before you ever fire rounds is you can shoot yourself while training this. I mean, it's if you don't know where your arm is in relation to the muzzle of your barrel, you're putting a hole in yourself. That's exactly. the problem with it. So yeah. it's it's something that I'm teaching and it's something that I'm writing about. It's something that I believe in because now, like you say, us here in the States, we, we a lot of us carry. A lot of people don't know what to do when there's a guy directly on top of them attacking them and they can't get to their gun. Or they can get to their gun, but they can't go to a full draw. So is a way to tie in your hand-to-hand and your and your firearm all in one, you know, quick move, but you have to train it successfully a lot to make it muscle memory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there are some there are some good good courses out there on a zero to five uh, gunfighting. Uh, so yeah, that that's definitely certain uh, certainly something to put in your repertoire. I just wanted to let our uh, listening guests know. Uh, is feel free to call in uh, with any questions or comments uh, with uh, Jay, myself, and either of the guests at uh, 213-286-6730. That number is 213-286-6730. We'd love to hear from you if you have anything to say. And also the chat room is open, so uh, if you have any uh, questions or comments, just uh, feel free to shout out there on the chat room, and we'll uh, we'll take a look at it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I know Claire is trying to listen. And she's the one that had the great question that was in the in our Facebook group page earlier. But I think it's uh, I think her computer's still messing up. But I'm going to ask anyway because she's going to listen to the recorded show. Her question concerned training a teenager in self-defense methods, both armed and unarmed, and what would be the best method to getting into it. Since I have Christine on here and Odin. What where would you begin in getting your teenager going on the unarmed self defense? Um, you know, I think that taking the approach that I did um is is really one of the best approaches, which is kind of mixing um a lot of the mixed martial arts, but more importantly having a trainer that understands what your goals are. Um, you know, the the same tactics that you would use in a professional fight are not the same that you would use in a street fight. Uh, so it, it is really important that the person that you're training with, uh, whether it be Muay Thai, boxing, uh, jiu-jitsu, that they understand what your goals are because the, the type of training will, will vary um, very much so. And I've kind of looked at both sides of it uh, where my trainer will stop me and say, hey, Chris, you know, this technique, it'll work in a street fight. You would never bring this into the ring with you and vice versa. This will work in the ring. If you did that in a street fight, you get knocked out in three seconds. Um, but I, I do believe that mixed martial arts is a great way to start, um, you know, mixing together the stand-up and the jiu-jitsu work, which is 
um, you know, it, it, it is a very rough uh, martial art, but on, on the flip side, I do believe it's one of the more elite martial arts because it really takes a lot of thinking. And I, I believe that when you're fighting, regardless whether you're armed or you're unarmed, uh, using your brain is the most important thing that you can do in, in any situation. Because when you're, if you're not aware of the situation around you, um, that's how you become injured and that's how the people around you get injured as well. Um, so I think that jiu-jitsu is, is a very, very good thing to know. Um, but also, you know, in terms of uh, being able to defend yourself in a street fight, absolutely take some kickboxing, Muay Thai um, boxing type lessons, and that will give, um, you know, a teenager at least a general knowledge on how to not necessarily strike but how to avoid uh, to, to get hit, uh, which, in, again, coming back to what my trainers have always taught me, which is get out of the situation if you can. That's the number one rule. You don't fight if you don't have to. And that's very important for teenagers to know because when you have so much skill, um, and especially you guys, I'm sure you can speak on the topic of, you know, when you have that gun in your pocket and you don't have much experience with it, um, that, that's a little dangerous as well. So it's very important to get the right kind of training and the right kind of mentors along the way that will steer them in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, from my standpoint in terms of, you know, if, if, I, if, if you take, you know, stuff, components from the military and the police, what I would really recommend is um, for more of the civilian mindset is to create that reactionary gap, and that's really vigilance and awareness in terms of your, you know, your surroundings, having that 360 overview of uh, around you at all times. It doesn't have to be like a hypervigilance, but you need to be aware of, of literally what's going on around you. And, and from the general public, I, I don't see a lot of that, uh, you know, kind of in my everyday life when I'm just watching people's normal reactions to things. Um, it's You can do case studies yourself just if you walk around the parking lot as you're putting your own groceries away. And you can see the difference between people that are, um, you know, basically becoming prey because they're just not aware of anything except the task, you know, that they're fixated on at that time. So I think uh, in terms of them being approached or encountered, I would really recommend, you know, being able to create the gap between them and the attacker and just breaking it off because it, it only takes, you know, as you guys know, one good shot from a strong person to put them out. And you can have all the best intentions or, or training in the world, but you get hit and you get hit hard and your plan goes out the window, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I've got I've got a question I've, I'm kind of interested in. I never leave the house without three different things. My pistol extra magazines, and a knife. <laughs> so there's there's a, there's a lot of people asking because, you know, a lot of us are, you know, former Army, we're all combat vets, and some of them have lost their right to use a gun in the United States because of different, you know, like PTSD, like extreme PTSD or situations like that, but they can carry a knife. And I've been asked like three or four times, what are the best folders or concealable knives that we can actually use uh, for self-defense. And I'm a, I, I carry a basic Smith & Wesson tactical, you know, Spec Ops folder. That That's what I carry. I like it. It's comfortable. But from somebody that trains a lot, you know, the more bladed weapons and stuff like that, what would you recommend? Um, for Canada, the laws are really stringent on it, so the knife has got to be visible for law enforcement. Because if it's if it's um, 
you know, hidden from view. It's going to be prohibited, right? So it becomes a really kind of a tricky uh, area here north of the of the border for stuff like that. So, um, you know, from from my standpoint as a trainer, um, you know, law enforcement is has usually an edged weapon of some sort to cut out seatbelts and stuff like that, but. There's absolutely no training in North America for law enforcement that involves an offensive approach for it because there there is in terms of the civilian market. I don't use um, like a brand name folder to kind of give any kind of recommendation, but uh, for the states, you guys have got a lot of you know very very good companies that make really good good quality products right across the board. I, I think it's it's hard to go wrong with. Um, a knife, especially ones that you see your way that are endorsed by the military for use, right? Uh, yeah, because in, in my opinion and way I've carried and other things, uh, Gerber makes this like alligator grip rubber handled folder, and I just find it to be very hard to use for any type of you know defensive product. So I use my mine. The one I use is just a metal handle, steel blade, you know, and the handle has got the same LPI as my 1911. The LPI is a lines per inch, you know, grip on the handle. Right, right. Um, that was more for the listeners. I get yelled at every week because I don't go into an explanation of what I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to firearms or a definition of an acronym or something. So uh, I'm trying to throw them out there with, with a definition. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, guys, it looks like we have a uh, we have a caller on the line. If uh, y'all are up to taking uh, some questions or comments, I'll go ahead and uh, sure. bring them in. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Claire. Oh, <laughs> Hello. Claire, welcome. Hey, welcome <laughs> Hi, guys. Claire. Thank you. Hi, Claire. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got well, a question. And this is something that I posted in um, the uh, webpage, the Facebook page, Shooter's Rest. How do you feel about all this nonsense and mumbo-jumbo and garbage, especially about this kid that got put in jail over a shirt? I'm not familiar with the story, so you guys will have to catch me up to speed on it. Ah, yeah. Okay, basically, this seventh grader wore an inter seventh or eighth grader wore an inner A shirt to NRA school. Shirt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a shirt. That's facing jail time. Yeah. In, in what state was this? Virginia was it? Yeah, wow, that's shocking. I'll pull up the uh, I'll pull up the story and. Uh, yeah, it should uh, still be there. Oh, I can't spell NRA shirt. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Forgot the R, didn't you? Yeah, I, mean, I, I personally think that uh, the, the what you know with all the school shootings that have been going on and what the media does to um, to really I believe exacerbate a lot of the, the situations there. I yeah. mean personally, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I think that they're really trying to make examples out of things that are not to be made examples of. Um, mm-hmm. Having a logo on a shirt, um, especially the NRA, you're, you're really picking a fight there. That's that's my honest opinion. I really think that they're just picking a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, uh, West here's Virginia, the, here's, that's where it was. 
West Virginia. Here's the article, and this is from the Huffington Post, so, you know, it's uh, a little left-leaning, but it says, Jared Markham, a 14-year-old who was arrested and suspended from school after refusing to take off an NRA shirt, is facing up to a year in jail. In April, Markham called the Fuhrer at the West Virginia Middle School when he showed up in a shirt supporting the NRA logo, the picture of a gun, and the slogan, quote, protect your rights. Despite being asked several times by school officials to remove the garment, Markham kept it on, saying he was not violating the school dress code and was exercising his First Amendment. Last week, he appeared in court and was officially handed a charge of obstructing an officer. According to the Logan County Police Department, he would not stop talking during the incident at the school, which prevented the attending officer from doing his job, I guess, uh, once again, exercising his First Amendment. Uh, however, Markham's attorney told uh, that the officer's arrest report did not mention the boy's allegedly excessive talking. He faces a $500 fine and up to a year in jail. So, yeah, so although the school... he, he got in trouble for talking? Yeah, in the well, initial report, uh, they said that he was very responsive and very cooperative, but refused to move the, remove the garment. And uh, though now, all of a sudden, he's obstructing police officers and doing their job, and they should never have been called to the school in the first place. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's a It's, you know, sometimes I wonder exactly what has happened to, uh, you know, the, the, the nation of uh, Jefferson and Madison and uh, Adams. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our founding father, sure. I mean, aside from the fact that the allegiance is being taken out of school, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that's just an ongoing issue that I see. We're taking everything out of school that's so important, which is teaching kids about country and, you know, uh, doing right by others. Um, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of um, unnecessary media coverage that is just, a, I mean, that's, that's really pushing it. Yeah, I, think so. I, I know Odin's kind of lost because Canada has completely yeah. different laws. Um, yeah, we don't uh, we don't have the NRA. I mean, I know, I know, um, you know, I know what a powerful body it is, you know, in in, in terms of the states, but we don't, uh, you know, we don't even have like a you know kind of a sister branch or anything like that. So it's yeah, it's uh, I can't really make a comment because it's just not you know we just we don't we don't have anything like that. Yeah. It sounds to me like it had more to do with the picture of the gun, you know. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, in in Canada, what are the, you know, how, how would a school respond to a kid just wearing a regular T-shirt with a picture of a gun on it? Yeah, probably not well. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think with the active shooter thing going on down in the U.S., that's a, it's a bit of a hot button, uh, especially at the moment. Um, you know, having kids of my own, would I let them go to school with a with a with a gun on a t shirt? Probably not. Um I get the First Amendment aspect in terms of the state side, so that's why I think it's you know, it's a it's a very thorny issue because it really impacts you guys down south of the border. And uh right. it, it really has no impact on us up here because of the stringent, you know, gun laws and gun control. But I see both. I, I see both sides of it. To be brutally honest with you about it, um, mm-hmm. you're going to bring, you know, you're exercising your First Amendment rights. You're also going to bring yourself a lot of unwanted attention as a kid. You know what I mean? From the 
from the authorities and school officials, so I don't know. Hey, yeah, I think hey, one, of the, you know, one of the things that's overlooked in, in so many of these tragedies is that there's a lack of parental responsibility or a lack of parental supervision. And I think you bring up a, a phenomenal point in being a parent and saying, you know, that's not something that I would allow my kid to do. Um, you know, I, I do feel that a lot of the, the, the school shootings were as a result of parents really just not paying attention. And I think that the warning signs were there and they were just either ignored or overlooked. Um, but either way, you know, I, I feel like a parent would know if they were actually doing their job that what their kids are wearing to school in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm the, kind of, I'm the kind of parent, well, down here in Georgia, every kid has a, has a uniform, at least in the county that I'm in. But I'm the kind of parent that would say, sure, you can wear that shirt to school. And then I'd go up there and yell and scream and pitch a fit until they realized my point of the argument. But uh, it's uh, yeah. That, that's just the way I am. I, it's well, in you know, in terms of this situation, I don't think that we're violating any of. I don't think we're. I don't think that there's any violation. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I personally think that this is ridiculous because an NRA logo. I mean, really, that's that's going to be the cause for you to suspend a kid and then put him in jail because he won't stop talking. I mean, really. Yeah, that's going way too far. Yeah. Hey, Odin, I had a question. Um, did Canada ever have the right to, to own firearms like carry and like we do down here? Uh, you know, so that's a great question, and I and I don't want to conclusively say. I, I would say no, but I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be. I could be standing to be corrected if you go far enough back. We're not that old of a country, but. It's not to my knowledge, but like I said, there could be some obscure, you know, time when it was the country was being a founder without that actually was the case. But I'm not sure, Jed. I don't believe so. All right. Uh, I know know there's hunting in Canada and stuff like that, so that's why I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like uh, there's you know concealed carry and stuff like that doesn't exist. That's that's not something you can have here. Yeah, and I can I can kind of relate to that. Um, you know, our our state is very very stringent on rules, um, especially for carrying. It's almost impossible to get a carrying permit here. Um, you know, they make the process very difficult to uh, to register for a gun and then to get a gun purchasing permit, which I believe are all very important processes uh, in in you know moving forward with firearms. But uh, here in New Jersey, I see um, a, a very distinct two groups of people. You have people who support um, you know, uh, having guns, and then you have uh, another side of the the coin, which is they believe that everyone should be unarmed. Which I, you know, being in a situation where I'm unable to arm myself uh, on a day to day basis, I can't walk out of my house with a gun. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting debate because in an ideal world, I can see why you know a government restricting guns would, would work. But that's not the world that we live in uh, here in the states. That's not that's not what we're what we're here for, and that's not the rights that that we have written for us. So it becomes a very complicated argument, I think. You know, uh, especially when I hear from guys like you in Georgia that are like, "Oh yeah, I carry every single day." I can't imagine walking out of my my house with a gun. I've never done that, um, just because it's just not something up here in New Jersey that we that you see every day. Um, 
but it's you know it's a um, it, it's difficult to argue uh, w- with people who feel that guns should not be allowed in the states because I feel so strongly that you know uh, the, the guns tend to fall into the hands of the wrong people, and we all say you know and many of us in martial arts and you know the martial arts community they go either way as well, but the ones that also believe in in owning um, firearms. You know they're they're very particular in saying you know if somebody draws a gun no matter uh, you know what martial arts training you have you're you're at a loss. So it, it, that's that's quite a challenge that we deal with. Yeah, it's like you're talking about getting a gun purchasing permit and then a and then a carry permit or ownership permit. That's why everybody needs to move to the south. Everybody that yeah. wants guns <laughs> just move to the south. I'll tell you this right now. If I want a gun, I walk into my gun store, I give them my ID, I tell them what gun I want, I fill out a 4473, 30 minutes later I'm getting in my car with my gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jay, and if I feel like I can load it on my hip at the same time. Another regarding knives, and things like that. And the one thing I do want to say from the female perspective, especially in self-defense, is that carrying a weapon that you don't know how to use is more dangerous than not carrying the weapon at all. Um, you know, part of what they they talk to us, uh, especially in self-defense for, for women, and most, um, you know, civilians are not trained in, in how to use a gun, let alone how to use a knife. Um, don't pick up a knife because chances are that person who's attacking you knows how to uh, disarm you and may use it against you. So yeah, that's actually a really, that. really interesting point. Um, from my standpoint, Jay and I were actually talking about this before, is that I see an enormous, like literally an ocean of material that's presented out on the web for disarming a guy with a with a pistol that will never work, ever. I mean, ever. But it's um, it's shown as, you know, uh, you know, an efficient and fast way, and it's fancy and it's this and that, but... Um, it's from people that, number one, aren't gunfighters or certified pistol instructors, and they have no knowledge of how rounds chamber and, and you know, where the muzzle is, even the percussive effects of what round are you talking about? Is it 223? Is it 9 mil? What is it? How close do you have to be to the muzzle to take your face off? I mean, it, it all, as you guys know, being shooters, it matters, and it's never discussed. They have a... Um, they have a belief in a, it's a false sense of security because you're working with a piece of plastic, whether it's a red or blue gun, thinking now you could actually disarm with a guy who's got, you know, an automatic firearm pressed up against you. It doesn't work that way. So when we, when we teach to the military and the police, we get into all the nomenclature and the semantics of how firearms are, you know, going to work at that kind of distance and go over stuff with a fine-tooth comb because you, you have to. Yeah. yeah, that's, it, it, that's it. a great. Go ahead, Victor. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, you know what? I'm uh, probably the apex of my gunfighting training. You know, and it, during my 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 studies, we've also done disarming and you know uh, defense against the drawn weapon and things like that. Is force on force, live real time force on force with a simulated weapon that actually has some sort of ability to cause pain if you screw up the disarm or if you get in the way of the muzzle, you know, whether it's airsoft or uh, simulations or whatever, then that really, really, really separates the wheat from the chaff. 
and you'll learn real quick what does and doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. ATK makes a great product in your neck of the woods as well That's um, that you can, you know, you, you're going to be able to field test, you know, what you're doing for tactics, and as Victor said, and that way if you get you get hit with a round, um, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to penetrate, but it's going to let you know that you screwed it up. So you, you're going to have to, after the first initial, you know, muscle memory kind of training with a, with a plastic weapon, get into a way to actually test and to validate, you know, what you're teaching is true. Uh, quantitative and qualitative, you know, ways of actually saying this works and, 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 and we could show you can demonstrate, you know, uh, how it works and why it works through, this, through empirical knowledge, not just your opinion. You know what I mean? I think that's important for especially the military and the police to validate it. So absolutely, absolutely. Uh, something else, yeah, I just I just thought of something, is you're seeing so, uh, somewhat of a fusion between some of the martial arts, you know, uh, combatives martial arts and gunfighting. And I remember, uh, I'm not a martial artist, uh, but I do remember being introduced to the Bikini Takeoff and using it as a, uh, as a launching point to move yourself into a better tactical position to overwhelm your opponent and get inside of their OODA loop for gunfighting. So do you see uh, as, you know, the, the art of, uh, of gunfighting and combative evolves that the two disciplines will start to merge and start taking the best practices of both? Well, if you look at the, if you look at the modified isosceles, which most guys are using to keep their plates facing forward, but still, still putting them basically in that slight weaver stance, I think this fits into Victor's point about how you're blending, you know, uh, modern CQC methodology with, with, with also being a gunfighter. And so, you know, the stance is not like the old school blading off. It's, it's, a, it's a combination, and it's incorporating the whole idea of your kit, especially your, your plates facing forward to give you that protection, you know, with your combatives, with your pistol work. Yeah, I think that we're already seeing, um, you know, a little bit of that in the martial arts community where we have a lot of law enforcement, you know, uh, not only getting involved but are highly proficient uh, in a lot of the martial arts. So I think that there are, um, there are uh, a lot of military personnel. Uh, one of my personal friends is a first sergeant, um, you know, military police, and uh, he's, um, you know, very well trained in jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I, I see a lot uh, with him and, and the team that he trains with that, yes, a lot of people who are trained on guns are really starting to consider, you know, getting serious with martial arts. Um, and and they, are, they are taking that very seriously because I think that they see that there's um, a, a better combination or a, a better approach to being able to disarm someone when you're trained in both, both arenas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Ah, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I I had a question I was going to ask, and then you kind of answered it there, and then I forgot what question it was going to be, so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, well, well, Jay, you were asking about, uh, you were asking about knives. Uh, yeah. And I had a, I had a chance to do a little bit of, uh, little bit of work with uh, Tom Sotis, uh, who's a, a pretty well-known knife trainer. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my personal uh, knife that I carry, my folder, 
is I carry a uh, TD, uh, TDI uh, law enforcement uh, close quarters knife up under my belt buckle, and then uh, my uh, my folder is the uh, Cold Steel AK-47, which I've, I've drugged that knife from Kuwait to Africa to Afghanistan and, you know, all points in between. So, yeah. Uh, well, I have a CKRT M16 that I used to carry all the time, but when I when I went to also carrying a pistol, since I'm right-handed, it just became too bulky to carry both my 1911 and the CKRT that I had. So I switched to a little slimline uh, Smith & Wesson uh, Extreme Ops. <laughs> so... Yeah, for your, for both your your military listeners, uh, Victor and Jay, I would just say that in terms of on the topic is to look at their an edge weapon in, in in conjunction with the placement of their kit, specifically mags. So everything needs to be in a proximity that whether they're if they got knocked down onto their back or whether they're standing, that everything you know is in a position where you can it's in a go to position. A lot of guys. You know, they're always going for that Gucci cool factor of of having something slung low or uh, you know yeah. knife drawn you know down low, and it won't work. You're going to need it in the placement the same way that you think of it as a mag change. Yeah. Right. When when I when I was in the army and I was carrying the uh, Beretta M9 in a drop, I used to wear a, a, a Serpa drop leg um, right. quick holster. And I used to strap right. my K-bar directly underneath it. So right. when I dropped my right hand, I'd either hit I'd hit the pistol, but all I had to do was move it up, and I'd be on my hill. Yeah, exactly. Um, I get it. You're, because a lot of the tack guys, you know, in the States are, are using the same kind of idea. So that if you're using that drop leg, like you said, your muscle memory's already been built to go for, you know, to go for that first primary or that secondary weapon in case with you your edge weapon is there so yeah it works because you're used to it yeah yeah it really yeah, that's a good point that's an excellent point that, that's one of the reasons i kind of gravitated towards carrying a uh you know a folder and also carrying the uh you know the tki uh le knife up under my belt buckle for you know in a, in a clinch where you can throw up a fence with your left hand and then get to the uh, get to the knife under your belt buckle if you you don't have the uh, freedom of movement of your arms. But uh, yeah, oh, don't get me started on the shirt to hold today. A lot of what we do is muscle memory. When as far as any training goes, and I, I think the the biggest kick with everything we're talking about here is if you don't train, if you don't use it. If you don't think about it daily, it's pretty much useless to you. Mm-hmm. Oh. I think that's true in any form of training. I mean, just like everybody's talking situational awareness, I have mild PTSD. To me, mild PTSD is actually a good thing for me. It, you definitely pay attention to your surroundings a lot more when you're a little paranoid. It, I never was before, you know, my first deployment. But after my first deployment, when everything was trying to kill you, <laughs> you kind of get that situational awareness where you're kind of, all right, that guy's printing. 
that guy's got, you know, that knife, that guy's doing something funky, you can kind of pick up on people's actions, the way they're talking, the way they're moving, and see who is a threat and who's not a threat before anything ever happens. Well, and, Jay, yeah, I think exactly. what, what you bring up there is, is very important when going back to training a teenager. Um, that is one of the most important things that they need to, to look at is, is situational awareness. Um, that's not traditionally taught in schools. You know, they, they that that came to you through experience, and I think that, um, you know, even talking with you today, I'm starting to question myself, you know, do I even look around uh, when, I, when I walk out the house? Probably not because it's just out of habit that, you know, being a, a civilian, you just you don't even think to do it. Um, but you know, going back to the, uh, the the teenager thing, I think that's probably one of the more important things that needs to be taught uh, before any type of combat is is presented. Yeah, if you if you go back and uh, and I'm real big on not reinventing the wheel. I think if you look at some uh, military geniuses in the past, um, you don't have to repackage and try to pretend it's your own when it's not. So if you look at Colonel Boyd and his OODA loop with, you know, observe-oriented and decide and act. I, I think if you put the advanced principles that the colonel has actually, you know, meticulously come up with, um, that's going to save you more ways than you can imagine. And, and you can use that as a template, um, not, you know, just if you're training door kickers, but for training anybody, that you need to compress time and move faster you know, through the fight than what your adversary is, and that's the essence of that loop. For sure. Yeah, and Christine, this is Vicky. I kind of, uh, kind of pigtail on what you said. Uh, you know, one of the things I teach my uh, both of my daughters is the three S's, and that's don't hang out with stupid people, don't go to stupid places, and don't do stupid things. Spend that <laughs> 10 seconds of critical thought before you act, and if something deep inside of your reptilian brain says, you know, this is probably stupid, <laughs> just, just don't do it. Yep. Good advice. Yeah. And always trust your gut instinct. That's another thing that I think a lot of people fail to do is that when they feel that something's wrong, uh, they, they don't get themselves out of the situation. And that, that, again, is most important when defending yourself. You get out of the situation if you can. I can't uh, stress on that enough. When in doubt, get out. Yep, yep, and and absolutely do not carry a weapon that you don't know how to use. Um, you know, I see, mm-hmm. especially uh, up here, um, you know, people will walk around like they're they're tough, and I'm sure, uh, and please don't judge me because I am from the Jersey Shore, um, but, you know, you have this mentality of these, uh, you know, these meatheads coming out with a, a bunch of muscles. They, they don't necessarily know anything about combat, um, and oftentimes they, you know, it, it's the people that don't know and don't respect um, you know the, uh, the 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 firearms that wind up causing the most damage. Yeah, I love I love beatheads as you call them. They're they're very <laughs> fun, especially when they're trying to intimidate people. Yeah, yeah, you should see them with me being a you know five two and a fighter. <laughs> yeah, it's like I weigh two hundred pounds on my bad days, and I'm not the biggest guy in the world as far as muscle strength. You know, I'm not fat, but I'm not uber skinny but it's uh mm-hmm. it, it's really funny the way these guys will come out and be like well i'm bigger than you i'll squash you and you're like uh probably not dude Mhm. 
And, you know, the ironic part of, of a lot of the fighters, because I also work uh, very close with a lot of professional fighters, is a lot of them do not like to put on display uh, that, that they have such an elite skill set. Uh, most of the most, you know, most of the proficient uh, martial artists, you'll never know it uh, walking around. They keep themselves, you know, they keep to themselves. They're responsible people, and I think that the martial arts has a, a very good foundation that teaches you responsibility uh, w- with the power that it does teach you. Um, and especially being a, a smaller person, um, being able to defend myself can be even more challenging. But then going back to jujitsu, that's exactly what it, what it was designed to do: is teach a smaller opponent how to take down a larger opponent or to submit a, a larger opponent because let's be real here, Jay, if I'm going to throw a jab at you, um, you might bounce and giggle a little. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> that's about yeah. all that's going to happen. I'll just uh, piss you off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a, not, not knocking um, you out. <laughs> well, I just had brain surgery, so knocking me out is probably No, 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 easy. I would never do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, Especially because I know what you're carrying yeah. when you leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same thing with firearms. You know, the shooting community, we'll call them the shooting community, the guys that carry daily, most of us, you never know. We don't right. advertise the fact that we're carrying a gun. We don't show people that we have a gun. We don't act like we have a gun. More often than not, we will fade into the background and disappear from everything before something gets bad. Because if we're caught in a wrong situation, we lose our right to our guns. Right. And we, yes, we have a responsibility to help other people, to step in where we can to, to you know, to help another human being. But if that's going to cause us to do something wrong, 99.9% of responsible gun owners are just going to step away. Right. Well, Jay, I'm going to throw something out, out there that's kind of controversial, and I've got my own opinion on it. Some states, and I hold a concealed carry permit in the state of Florida and also in the state of Alabama. Yeah. Uh, both, both states require a uh, background check through the NCIC, National Criminal Information System. Uh, Florida requires training before they yes. issue a concealed carry permit, and Alabama does not. And when I had my concealed carry permit in Georgia when I was going to university there, uh, it did not require training uh, when I was there. So yeah, what, still no. What is everybody's opinion? What is everybody's opinion on that, requiring training and, uh, you know, being able to, to demonstrate a certain skill set before the state will allow you to carry a uh, controlled weapon? I believe as a it. Trainer, I, I, as a trainer, I'm going to say that I would I would support that. 100%. That, yeah, that's that's kind of why I'm... Harder than educating yourself on... Uh, a, a weapon that can that can not only injure somebody, it can kill somebody or yourself. Yeah. I mean, just to, even to protect yourself, like you said before, if you don't know where that that muzzle is, uh, you know, you can uh, you know take your own head off. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of important. Yeah, that, that's kind of why I'm starting this this shooting schools because there's a lot of people out there that do carry. They don't know what they're doing. A lot of mm-hmm. people that went through a class, maybe in Florida or something else, and they know how to shoot straight. They know how to pull a weapon and shoot a target at, you know, 15 yards. Well, what are you doing when that, that perpetrator is up on top of you and that person is trying to get you and they're two feet away? You don't have time to, to draw and go to a full draw. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
And I, I, Jay, I think that what you're doing is is awesome, and I would I would personally love to see more people up here. Um, you know, get involved with that sort of thing because, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that I see up here is, well, I, I would love to get a gun, but I don't know where to go to learn how to use it. And I, I think you guys would agree that going to the range a couple times with a pistol is not learning uh, truly how to use a weapon. That's that, Those are the basics, you know, um, but I, I don't feel that going to a range a couple times is sufficient enough for a completely untrained civilian um, to to properly own a weapon. Exactly. Well, I, I hate to do it, but we are running out of time. Oh, you're killing me, man. You're killing me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this was a good show. Excellent Yeah, show. good time tonight. So, well, yeah, I would like pleasure. to thank... I'd like to thank both of you for coming on um, and, and engaging in this conversation for everybody. And I learned a lot. I'm pretty sure a lot of other people did, too. Um. So if you guys want to put anything else out or, or join in any more discussions, we have our group page, The Shooter's Rest, on Facebook, um, or The Shooter's Rest Radio on Facebook, and we also have the web page, or the, the, the regular page, The Shooter's Rest. Uh, feel free to join them. Feel free to jump on. Throw anything out there you want to talk about. Add to. That that would be awesome. Um, i got to throw a shout-out to Iron Size Gun Shops down in Largo, Florida. And A and R Guns and Ammo down in Plano, Texas. Um, both of them really good. Both of them are really good sites and really good gun stores, and really appreciate customers. So with that, uh, keep them loaded, keep them ready. Have a good night. Yeah, God bless, guys. Hey, thank you very much. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Great. Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.